sermon text this week is Leviticus chapter 11, verses 1 through 8. Now the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying to them, Speak to the children of Israel, saying, These are the animals which you may eat among all the animals that are on the earth. Among the animals, whatever divides the hoof, having cloven hooves and chewing the cud, that you may eat. Nevertheless, these you shall not eat among those that chew the cud or those that have cloven hooves. The camel, because it chews the cud but does not have cloven hooves, is unclean to you. The rock hyrax, because it chews the cud, but does not have cloven hooves, is unclean to you. The hare, because it chews the cud, but does not have cloven hooves, is unclean to you. And the swine, though it divides the hoof, having cloven hooves, yet does not chew the cud, is unclean to you. Their flesh, their flesh you shall not eat, and their carcasses you shall not touch. They are unclean to you. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this Lord's Day. As we come before you to read your word, to listen to your word expounded, we pray, Lord, that as you, you instructed in last week's text, the, the priest to separate the holy from the unholy, the, the clean from the unclean. Lord, help us to see these things in the, in the pictures that you have for us, though they may seem foreign to us. We pray that you would give Dan wisdom to explain these things. We pray, pray that you would open our minds and our hearts to understand the, the things that you have here to show us to, to separate the holy from the unholy. Lord, help us to give us your attention this day. Help us to learn the things that you would have us to know. We ask these things in the name of your Son. Amen. As we start to consider the food laws, it's important to remember why God gave them the food laws. He doesn't say it until the end of the chapter, but it's worth considering before we start talking about why would God say that, that it's about chewing the cud, and why would he give these rules about having a cloven hoof? He explains why in Leviticus eleven forty four through 47. For I am the Lord your God. You shall therefore consecrate yourselves. You shall be holy, for I am holy. The food laws are about making a people that were separate in the world. Neither shall you defile yourselves with any creeping thing that creeps on the earth. For I am the Lord who brings you up out of the land of Egypt to be your God. You shall therefore be holy, for I am holy. This is the law of the animals, of the birds, and every living creature that moves on the waters, and of every creature that creeps on the earth, to distinguish between the unclean and the clean, and between the animal that may be eaten and the animal that may not be eaten. This, these passages are given so that we can understand how to be holy, for God is holy. And so as we read this, it's not, we know it's not about what you eat, it's not about what goes into the belly that defiles a man, but it's what comes out of the heart. So this isn't about what goes into your belly, because that's not what defiles, is what Jesus Christ said. God gave the food laws to make them a holy people, and it worked. Even to today, they have labels on the grocery store about this is kosher food. It worked. It separated the Jews. It separated Israel as a separate people. 
and it's been maintained for thousands of years because they have specific restrictions. You know, some that they got from the Bible, like don't eat pork, some that they just made out by twisting the scripture to come up with their own interpretation that's clearly against what was being taught, such as you can't have a cheeseburger because you can't eat milk and meat in the same meal. They create all kinds of arbitrary restrictions. But it worked. Their food worked to make them a separate and distinct people, a holy people. But it seems obvious, if you consider the context, that at least Aaron would have known that's what, that isn't what this was about. That these things were symbolizing something. I'll thank Nadab and Abihu had just been sacrificed by God. They had done all these sacrifices that God says, do these things and your sins will be forgiven. And then they get consumed. Aaron had to know. Everybody had to know. Those sacrifices did not make you right with God. They were just symbolizing other sacrifices. Aaron would have known that sacrificing the animals was not a bribe that you give to God to get him to not judge you. That's how pagans worship their gods. They think, if I just do the sacrifice, this will appease the wrath of God. So it will be like paying him a bribe so he doesn't judge me for what I should be judged by. But Aaron gets it. He goes, but I'm angry at God. Look at what's befallen me this day. I'm not, I'm not going to eat. I'm not holy. Physically, I am. Physically, he was clean. Physically, he had been in the temple for eight days or seven days, the tabernacle, excuse me. It wasn't that he was unclean in a physical sense, but he recognized he was unclean in a spiritual sense. And then God says to him, here's the food laws. To think that Aaron in the previous passage would be going, I get it. It's not about these physical things. It's not about having washed and, and, and washing your clothes and washing your body and wait until sunset and then all of a sudden you're clean. This is about the heart and not the flesh, just the flesh. So from the beginning when the food laws were given, Aaron at least, to be consistent with what he had just said, would have understand these things are symbolizing spiritual things. It's symbolizing about how to be holy, for I am holy, as God said. Not about being physically holy. Not about being them being a separate and distinct people in the earth. But remember what the role of Aaron was and his sons after him in Leviticus 10, 9, and 11. And the role of all priests, the role that we have. Do not drink wine or intoxicating drink, you nor your sons with you, when you go into the tabernacle of meeting, lest you die. It shall be a statute forever throughout your generations, that you may distinguish between the holy and the unholy, and between the unclean and the clean, and that you may teach the children of Israel all the statutes which the Lord has spoken to them by the hand of Moses. He just said, here's your job, to be able to say who's clean and unclean, and then he says, now I'm going to talk to you about animals. Here's how you decide if an animal is clean or unclean. It's not because Aaron's supposed to be judging animals. It's because as a priest, you're supposed to be declaring these things to men. This is what it means to be clean. This is what it means to be unclean. The serious duty that was given to Aaron wasn't about teaching the food laws. It was teaching what the food laws were symbolizing. Aaron understood it was symbolic. 
And they were supposed to use the food laws to teach the children of Israel to distinguish between the holy and the unholy, to distinguish between the clean and the unclean. In light of that being the the duty of the priest, of course, that means that every Christian as a priest of the order of Melchizedek has that responsibility as well. Has the responsibility to teach, this is what it looks like to be holy. This is what it looks like to be clean in the sight of God. You can't just say, well, they did these things. They're holy. They prayed a prayer. They, they walked an aisle. They did these things that the church now says, this makes you holy. We're supposed to look at this and say, this is what it means to be clean. This is what it means to be holy. But that's not what Aaron's sons did. Think about how successful they were at teaching that it's not about man, that it is about animals. Because Peter, after he received the Holy Spirit, after Pentecost, Peter's praying on a housetop. And it says in Acts 10, 10 through 15, then he became very hungry and wanted to eat. But while they made ready, he fell into a trance and saw heaven opened and an object like a great sheet bound at the four corners descending to him and let down to the earth. In it were all kinds of four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, creeping things, and birds of the air. And a voice came to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, Not so, Lord. Understand, he is saying, I know this is the voice of God. He's hearing the voice of God say, Eat these things. And he goes, No, Not so, Lord, for I've never eaten anything common or unclean. They had been so successful in teaching it has nothing to do with the holiness of man. It is all about food that Peter, with the Holy Spirit, would argue with the living God. That's how successful they were in teaching holiness isn't required. And now think of the modern church. Because a modern church is great at teaching exactly the same heresy. Exactly the same rejection of God as God. Because the modern false priests, the modern false prophets, aren't any different than Aaron's sons were. The sons of Aaron had been so successful in teaching that the end of the food laws was to protect people from food that would be harmful that God himself would say, Peter, eat. And Peter would go, no, I would never do such a thing. I'm more holy than you are, God. I won't obey God. Instead, I'll obey man. I'll obey what I was taught as a Jew, what I was taught by the Pharisees. It's not about holiness. It's about animals. It's about food. Even with God speaking with him, even with the spirit of truth, God had to say it three times before Peter finally gets it. And Peter finally gets it and understands the food laws are not about animals. Acts 10.18, then he said to them, you know how unlawful it is for a Jewish man to keep company with or go to one of another nation, but God has shown to me 
that I should not call any man common or unclean. God said, eat these animals. And Peter goes, I can't eat those animals. They're common and unclean. But then God shows it was never about animals. Because Peter's response, when he finally understands what God is saying to him, after God repeats it three times, after he finally gets it, Peter's response is, and now I realize I can eat rats. Peter's response is, now I understand there's no partiality with God. That if God saves somebody, it doesn't matter if they're a Jew, doesn't matter if they're a, a Gentile, he should not call somebody clean who God, or call somebody unclean who God made clean. Peter understood it's not about the animal. God didn't give these laws so we could learn about animals any more than he gave the law about do not muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain. And Paul goes, what do you think? He was talking about oxen? When we read these food laws, we have to say he's talking about people. He's talking about how do you figure out who's clean and unclean? What person's clean and unclean? Who God has made clean? They were to eat in a certain way, avoiding certain foods, so that they would understand the difference between clean men and unclean men. And Peter finally understood the food laws and expressed it at Cornelius' house. Acts 10.28, then he said to them, you know how unlawful it is. Oh, sorry, I just read that. So then then Peter went back after finally getting it, and Peter goes back to Jerusalem and he starts to fulfill the commandment that was given to Aaron. Because he goes back to the church in Jerusalem, and he goes, don't you understand? The Gentiles have been brought into the kingdom. The sheep came down. These animals were in it. And the church in Jerusalem's response in Acts eleven eighteen, when they heard these things, they became silent and glorified God, saying, then God had also granted to the Gentiles repentance to life. The church in Jerusalem got it, too, that the food laws were not about animals. The food laws were always about men, about what it means to be saved, about what it means to be have, having been reconciled to God. So Aaron should have understood this from the beginning, that these were picturing spiritual realities, but by the time Christ comes, there's no spiritual thing in it at all. It's all physical. It's, all, it's not that it's a physical parable pointing to a spiritual reality. It's this is the end of it. You're clean if you don't eat a pork chop. But finally, the priesthood started to f- fulfill its duty and go... Here's what it means to be clean. Here's what it means to be unclean. Here's what it means to be holy. But how often in the church do people go and they look at the food laws and say, this is how we're supposed to distinguish between the clean and the unclean. And they just go, these are weird laws to separate the Jews. We have the position that God explicitly confronted Peter with so that Peter got it. But how many people in the church get it? How many people are teaching what it means to be holy and unholy? So as we read these passages over the next few weeks, let's make sure we understand 
we're supposed to be going, I see this man is clean, this man is unclean. And yes, we can't tell their hearts. But we are to judge, we are to look, and we are to say, we shouldn't follow this person. Yes, he knows the scriptures well, but no, he doesn't, he doesn't have a focus on heaven. He's not trying to, to, to live in this life with a focus that the end is heaven. He's unclean. Or the person who seems so spiritual, seems so filled with zeal for things of God, but never reads the word of God. We shouldn't be going, oh, there's somebody who's clean. We should go, if they don't care about the word of God, they don't care about God. You can't love the word of God, Jesus Christ, unless you love the word of God, the Bible. It's not possible to love the one and hate the other. So we have a duty to teach people what it means to be clean and what it means to be unclean. And God put this this parable in place, these, these pictures that he removes at the time of Reformation, that he removes when Jesus Christ comes. So we can go, forget the physical picture. You can eat bacon if you want. But it doesn't mean that we're supposed to ignore the spiritual picture and call unclean what God calls clean or call clean what God calls unclean. So verses 1 through 3, Now the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying to them, Speak to the children of Israel, saying, These are the animals which you may eat among all the animals that are on the earth. Among the animals, whatever divides the hoof, having cloven hooves and chewing the cud, that you may eat. So now the Lord spoke. And again, we don't know exactly when this was, but it, it couldn't have been immediately after instructing Aaron and speaking to Aaron, because the last time God spoke, he wasn't speaking to Moses. He was just speaking to Aaron. But after that, Moses goes and examines to see what they did with the sin offering. So it wasn't immediately, but it was probably pretty close after Aaron didn't eat the sin offering. So now he speaks to Moses and Aaron, and you know, he had just spoken to Aaron without Moses there to instruct him on the role of the priesthood. So when he speaks to Moses and Aaron, the picture is that this is both the civil and the ecclesiastical magistrate. He's talking to both. This isn't just that that only the church is supposed to understand what is clean and what is unclean. So God gives the law to the civil magistrate to reward those who do good, and to reward those who do good, you have to understand what it means to be clean. You have to understand what it means to be holy. So he says to them, and tells them to speak to the children of Israel. So both have a teaching ministry. Moses did. The law has a teaching ministry to teach what is holy, to teach what is good, what is righteous, and so do the priests. The priests have a teaching ministry to declare what is holy and what is unholy, to declare what is clean and what is unclean. The Levites were to teach these pictures, and probably they were supposed to teach them in the right context of what they mean, not just that, just like with the offerings, that the offerings aren't pointing, they aren't the end, they're pointing to something. That God doesn't desire burnt offerings, but he desires a meek and submissive heart. They were supposed to know that. They were, Aaron has a testimony of having some understanding of that. And so they were to teach not just the, the physical pictures. They were supposed to teach the spiritual realities that you have to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see God. You have to be holy. 
But Moses was to speak as well. It's right for the civil magistrate to enforce the standards of righteousness. And frequently priests, whether sons of Aaron or sons of Christ, we need instruction on what's holy. And the law contains instructions on what is holy. What does righteousness look like? What does it mean to love your neighbor? So then these are the animals. So God is going to speak to them. And they were to teach Israel that there were animals that you could eat and animals that you couldn't eat. The translation's pretty bad. Because the word animals here and the word the next time that animals are used, they're very different words that mean very different things. The first word translated animals means to be alive. Alive. Basically means that you have blood. That's what it means. And so this isn't just an introduction for those animals that chew the cud. Because something that creeps on the earth, it's still alive. It falls into that word for animals. The things that fly in the air, they're still alive. That fall into the definition of that word for animals. So he's saying, I'm going to show you what animals you can eat, what living things that you can eat. Of the things that have blood, there are things that you're allowed to eat and there are things that you're not allowed to eat. And remember that now... God is narrowing for Aaron and for Moses and for Israel what he had already said for Noah. Because in Genesis 9, 3, and 4, every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. That every moving thing that lives, that's this word for animals. So God said to Noah, you can eat all the animals. Now he says to Aaron that you are to teach Israel, you're not allowed to eat all the animals. You're not allowed to eat, you know, he said to Noah, every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. I've given you all things, even as the green herbs, but you shall not eat flesh with its life, that is, its blood. So you can eat any animal you want as long as you don't eat its blood. Anything that's living, which means that it has blood, as long as the blood is not eaten. So now God's restricting Israel to separate them, to show them what it looks like to be holy how they were separate from everybody else. And he did that in physical ways. But we're supposed to understand that those physical pictures were till the time of Reformation, the time where these things were reworked so that we understand the reality of what they were pointing to. We just go, the food laws have gone away. And the answer is, the food laws haven't gone away. The food laws stopped being physical and became spiritual. That's how we're supposed to look at it. God didn't leave these laws out there just so we could ignore them. He left them out so that we could understand what they really meant. The sons of Aaron didn't, but we're supposed to understand it. He did things. He created a physical separation so we could understand the spiritual separation. And now he switches subjects and says, among all the animals, and it sounds like He's talking the same thing that he talked about before. But this animal's a completely different word. This animal is a word that's related to dumb, meaning unable to speak. I personally think when they translated this, they should have been much more consistent with how Genesis 1 was translated. Because in Genesis 1, 24 and 25, they use exactly the same words that are used here. 
Then God said, let the earth bring forth the living creatures, which is the first animal in this passage, according to its kind. Cattle, which is the second animals in this passage. Cattles and keeping thing and beasts of the earth, each according to its kind. And it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth according to its kind, cattle according to its kind, and everything that creeps on the earth according to its kind. And God made sure that it was good. So these two animals, he's starting out by talking about every living creature, and now he says, of those that, that walk on the earth. The things that walk on the earth, I'm now going to tell you what's clean about the things that walk on the earth. So same two words, but translated very differently. Here they're both translated animals. There they're translated living things and beasts. So we should understand he's now talking about one one category. He's going to talk about other categories. He's going to talk about fish, which are animals, according to the first definition, but not according to the second. So he's going to, about all the animals on the earth, all the beasts of the earth, all the beasts of the field, all the... You know, those are the same terms that are used other places in the translation. So when we think of clean animals, we think of sheep, lamb, oxen, right? It's a pretty short list. But God understood that Israel would be spread beyond the promised land. And in spreading beyond the promised land, they'd encounter other animals, like giraffes. And they were supposed to look at a giraffe and go, we can eat giraffe. Because a giraffe is a clean animal. And so it's easy to think, well, they knew what was clean, and they're just, no, they would go other places, and there would be animals that we may not think of as clean that they're supposed to go, wait, a giraffe is clean. A giraffe has a cloven hoof, and it has, it chews its cud. It basically has the same digestive tract as a, as a cow. So in spreading beyond the promised land, God is saying, it's not just about here. This is how you distinguish it throughout the world. It's not just the, that here you can see in Israel, this is clean and this is unclean. He's preparing them to go through the world and be able to see what is clean and unclean. And the animals that are clean and unclean, they look, a giraffe looks a lot different than a, than a sheep. But they're both clean animals. So they were supposed to go through the various places of the earth and distinguish and declare, this is what it looks like to be holy. So among the beasts of the earth, among the, among the animals, whatever divides the hoof. So God's going to give them examples to understand exactly what dividing the hoof means. But first he just says, divides the hoof. And for many years, I've adopted John Newton's interpretation of this passage. That the cloven hoof is representing that you must have works that are separate from the world. And now I don't think that's quite right. It's kind of close, but it's not quite, not quite there. In order to be clean, the cloven hoof is pointing to that you have to dwell in two places. You have to have a citizenship in heaven, and you have to be on earth. That's what I think it is. I think it's, it's pointing to Ephesians 2, 4 through 6. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, 
even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved, and raised, past tense, us up together, and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Those who have one hoof, they're just on earth, they have nothing beyond earth. But those who have a cloven hoof, they have citizenship on earth. They, you know, he who does not provide for his own is worse for, than an infidel. You have real responsibilities on earth. You have real citizenship on earth. You have real duty to love your neighbor. But at the same time, you have citizenship in heaven. At the same time, you've been seated in heavenly places. And I think that's the picture of the cloven hoof. It's a picture of John seventeen fourteen through 16. I've given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world. Just as I am not of the world, I do pray that you should take them out of the, I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. It's this picture that we're not of this world, and we're in this world. I think that's the picture of the cloven hoof. Those who just... And remember, people get off on both sides. The monks, the whole monkery thing, that's the whole idea that they don't need to be in this world. That they can just be spiritual. They don't need to actually provide for themselves. They can just make other people provide for them. As opposed to the picture here is, no, you have real responsibilities in this world. And you can't just say, I'm I'm heavenly focused. I can ignore everything in the world. Or, or the Sadducees, right? The Sadducees went, all this things about God, this is just to give us a better life now. There is no resurrection. Neither of those have a cloven hoof. Either side can become the whole hoof. So now it says having cloven hoofs, and it repeats the same thing, but it's using more precise words. And the word for hoof is the same. When we think of hoof, when I think of hoof, and probably most of you, I'm guessing, you kind of think like a horse's hoof or a cow's hoof where it's this hard thing at the bottom of their leg. But that's the word translated from Hebrew. That's not what it is. It's actually a feminine version of the word for an eagle claw. An eagle claw, when we think of an eagle claw, we probably don't think of that's a hoof. The point isn't that it's this hard thing at the bottom of the leg. The point is, it's what it ends with. It, it can be covered with fur. It doesn't need to be, doesn't need to be like you know, fingernail-type material. The word hoof is, is very general. That's not what's creating the division, whether they have a hard thing at the end of their leg. That's not the point. What makes the division between the unclean and the clean is, is it divided? The cloven comes from two Hebrew words. The first means to split or to tear. So the foot of the the animal has to have a division in it. It has to be in two parts. It has to be split in two, or divided at least. Maybe not in two, but divided. But then the second word means that those two, that division has to have a fissure in it. It actually has to be separate. There has to be a gap. It's only clo- cloven if there's actually a gap, as you can actually see the two parts. If it had to split, but they were joined together, like if you're holding your two fingers together, that wouldn't be cloven. They have to be separate for it to be a cloven, the way the Hebrew is defining it. 
and then chewing the cud. The other requirement is chewing the cud, and I still agree with John Newton on this one. This is a picture of meditating on the Word of God. It's the picture that, that like Peter is connecting to as an infant, but as you grow up, you're supposed to... It's, it's Psalm 119, right? We've been singing through Psalm 119 over the last couple of years, and it is Psalm 119. I meditate on God's Word night and day. That's the picture. That's the picture of the clean animal. And so when Peter says in 1 Peter 2, 1 through 3, therefore laying aside all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all evil speaking, as newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. If you have no desire for the word of God, you're not saved. That's what Peter says. If you have no desire of the word of God, you haven't tasted the grace of God. And what, Moses, what God said to Moses and Aaron is, if you don't chew the cud, you're not clean. You're only clean in the sight of God if you meditate on his word, if you think about his word. Those are the things that you may eat. That's what's required. They're supposed to eat this, so they constantly have this picture in front of them. This is what it looks like to be a holy people. This is what it looks like to be a clean people. They were to maintain this physical parable so the people could see and could understand that that they were not to come and say, we're right with God, we're children of Abraham. They were supposed to go, am I chewing the cud? Do I have a cloven hoof? That's how I know I'm right with God. That's how I know I'm clean is not who my parents are. But what's my attitude towards God? What's my attitude towards his word? What's my attitude towards the earth? And it's important to remember, right, that those who are clean are those that have a cloven hoof, right, that they have this split, that they have earthly responsibilities that they fulfill, but they also have citizenship in heaven and that they're, they're longing for that day, they're looking for that day, of eternal life. And then they chew the cud. They meditate on the word of God. But it's important to understand, they're not clean because they do these things. They are clean because those who are clean do these things. Works do not produce righteousness. Faith, the saving work of God to create you and make you a new creature produces righteousness so the way you see that somebody is clean, not what makes them clean, but the discovery that they are clean is that they have an eternal, a focus on eternal life and they meditate on God's word. That's a picture of how you discover who's clean and who's not clean. Verses 4 through 6. Nevertheless, these you shall not eat among those that chew the cud or those that have cloven hoofs. The camel, because it chews the cud, but does not have cloven hoofs, is unclean to you. The rock hyrax, because it chews the cud, but does not have cloven hoofs, is unclean to you. The hare, because it chews the cud, but it does not have cloven hoofs, is unclean to you. So this is translated in English as nevertheless, as if this is trying to 
create exceptions, but the Hebrew word is more like surely. Let me give you some examples so that you can see it. Surely when you think about that you're only clean if you have a cloven hoof and you have a chewing the cud, let me give you some, some animals as examples. And I think he's giving these animals as examples so that we get a parameters of what does it mean. What does it mean to chew the cud, for instance? What does it mean to have a cloven hoof? So he's going to give examples. So this isn't like any way in contrast, like nevertheless. It's not in contrast with what went before it. It's, let me give you some examples. These you shall not eat. He's going to say, here's some beasts that chew the cud, but they don't have cloven hoofs. And so I think as we go through these animals, it's much more about what does it look like to chew the cud than not have cloven hoofs. Because the animals all have cloven hoofs. So it's, but as we hear these animals, it's really easy to go, they don't chew the cud. Because there's what's called a ruminant, right? We even use this, right? I've ruminated on it. Instead of saying you're supposed to meditate on the word of God, I could say you're supposed to ruminate on the word of God. That's, that's perfectly acceptable English that means the same thing, essentially. And so a pure ruminant has four stomachs. That's like a cow. That's like a giraffe, for that matter. For those of you who want to eat giraffe, um, they have four stomachs. And those stomachs each have a different purpose. And they move the food into that stomach. They let it sit there in acid for a while for one of the stomachs. Some of the stomachs dry it out, and then they, have it, they bring it back up into their mouth, and that's how they actually extract the nutrients is the dried out part is, or the liquid that comes out. You know, they have a, a stomach that separates the things that will never be digested from the things that are digestible, and then they... Yeah, I don't remember what the other stomach is, but they basically have four stomachs, and that's called a, a, a ruminant. That's, that's like a cow. That's like a sheep. But then he's going to give other examples, examples of animals that their chewing of the cut is acceptable. But it's not like how a cow does it. And as we think of the examples, it's, there's very clearly a pattern here. So a cow has four, and they don't mention a cow. But then of those who have cloven hoofs, because all of this, it's about how they chew the cud and not about the cloven hoof. Because, you know, you have to have a cloven hoof and not just chew the cud. It's important to recognize that both are needed. There are scholars who spend their whole life thinking about the word of God, meditating on it, writing on it, but they're, they don't have cloven hooves. They're still not holy. They're still not right with God. They're still not, they haven't been justified. Because they aren't looking forward to eternal life. They aren't thinking of spiritual things. To them, it's an exercise in ruminating on the word of God. They have to have cloven hoofs too. And think about it. It's worth, you know, the Talmud. The Talmud was written during the Babylonian captivity largely. The Talmud is the Jewish interpretation of the law. It's basically when Jesus Christ comes and says, you follow the traditions of man rather than the words of God. He's largely talking about the Talmud. The Talmud was written because 
They get forced into Babylonian captivity, right? They went from millions of people. They go down to 4,600 people. God sends them to Babylon. And they go, how have we sinned against God? We better go to his word. And they study his word, and they come up with all kinds of things, like you shouldn't eat meat with dairy. They come up with all these things based on meditating, based on chewing on God's word. But they don't have any heavenly focus. They're just trying to figure out how do we get back to Israel? How do we get back to Jerusalem? And so you can chew the cud and not be holy. That's what, that's the Pharisees, right? That's the picture of the Pharisees. They chewed the cud. So they could come up with all kinds of novel interpretations. But there was no focus on eternal life, so they weren't holy. Chewing the cud is not enough. But God's pretty lenient in what he calls chewing the cud. And he gives examples. The first example is a camel. The camel is not a ruminant. It doesn't have four stomachs. But God still says it chews the cud. Camels only have three stomachs. It it lacks the stomach that separates the liquid from the solids. Right? Normally, grass, it's all the cellulose cellulite in grass, that it's very hard to get nutrients out of it. And so what happens is you chew it up, you mix it with acid, and then that breaks down into the nutrients dissolve into the acid, and then you have, the cow has a stomach that basically squeezes it out and gets the liquid, which then goes into the final stomach, which is where they get the nutrients from, and then they regurgitate the rest, the dried out stuff, and they chew it up more, and then they put it in another stomach, mix it with acid again. And this is the process. But the camel lacks that stomach that actually like squeezes it out to get the juice out of it. And so a camel still chews the cud, but it grass sits in a camel's stomach a lot longer than it sits in a cow's stomach. Because it doesn't get the same nutrients out of it. It doesn't it takes it longer to get the same thing out. But God says that's not the standard. The standard isn't, I read the word and I have to read it and I have to read it and I have to read it and I have to read it. I've read this about animals a thousand times and I still don't understand why God would say that a holy animal is one that chews the cud and one that has a cloven hoof. God doesn't say, well, you didn't get it. You didn't chew the cud. He goes, you chewed the cud because you read it a thousand times. God's standard of saying you're holy is not how rapidly you understand the word of God. It's how much desire you have for the word of God. The camel processes it a lot slower than the, than the cow. But it still chewed the cud. The obvious picture is God isn't saying... The person who's brilliant, the person who just opens scripture and just understands what it means that they're holy and the person who has to go, I read it and I study it and meditate on it. And it just takes me a long time before I can finally understand. God says they're both holy. They're both equally clean. It's not about how smart you are, whether you're clean or not. It's about what your desire is, whether your desire is for the word. Some people can read it and immediately see the implications. Other people study it and work on it. Well, that's chewing the cud. It's not how good you are at chewing the cud. It's whether you chew the cud. The problem with the camel is not that it doesn't chew the cud, that it doesn't get the nutrients from it fast enough. It's that it does not have cloven hoofs. 
and this is important. If you look at the foot of a camel, obviously I've done a lot of uh, zoological studies this week as I've been preparing this. But if you look at the foot of a camel, we'd go, it doesn't have a hoof at all. It has toes. But that's not the problem, that it has toes. The issue isn't that it doesn't have a hoof like we think that it has. It's that it's not cloven. The problem isn't that it has toes. It has two toes. It's that the fissure doesn't go the whole way back to the back of the foot. There aren't two parts to it. The front part, like about halfway back, it's split into two parts. And yeah, it's covered with fur and stuff, but that's not the problem. The problem is it's not cloven. So the camel is unclean to you. Someone who studies the word, who is trying to get things out of it, that's a good thing. But they're only clean if they actually have a heavenly focus. If their heavenly focus is because of things of this earth, they're not clean. They don't have a cloven hoof. Now it goes to the rock hyrax. If we look at a rock hyrax, when I see pictures of it, it reminds me of a prairie dog. That's kind of what it looks like if you've seen a prairie dog including it has paws like a prairie dog or very similar. But it chews the cud. And so the problem with the rock hydrax, and this is, this is very prevalent animal in the Middle East and in Africa. But if you look at a rock hyrax, it, it chews the cud. So it's an example of chewing the cud. But it doesn't have three stomachs. It only has two stomachs. So where you have the picture of the camel not being a very efficient ruminant, or being able to, to chew the cud, you now have the rock hyrax. And God's still saying, it loses another stomach, but it's still chewing the cud. Chewing the cud is about desiring the word of God, not your ability or the rapidity with which you interpret the word of God. It's about your desire. Righteousness is not by how smart you are. Righteousness is about desiring to submit to the word of God, desiring God to be your Lord. But it doesn't have cloven hoofs. It has paws, but again, the paws aren't the problem. It's the fact that it has a heel that is the problem. Because it's not divided into two, it's one heel. Things that have paws, they usually only have one heel. And that's the problem. It's not cloven, it's one. So it's unclean to you. It's chewing of the cud, even with only two stomachs and not four. It's clean. But the, the not having a divided hoof, a divided foot, that makes it unclean. Now it uses the hair. The rock hydrax had two stomachs. The camel had three. The, the, the cow had four. Guess how many a rabbit has? How many a hare has? It only has one stomach. But God says it's even chewing the cud. It chews the cud, even though here's how it chooses the cud. In a hair's digestive tract, it goes into a stomach just like your stomach. But in, your, in its intestine, it has this separation where it separates things that it could still get nutrients from, from the stuff that is waste. And then out of the same track, it expels both petals, pellets. So it expels what is pure waste, and it ex- expels these things that are put outside of its body, out of its cecum, I think is what it's called, 
and it puts it outside of its body, and then the rabbit goes back and eats those pellets. So that's how it chews the cud. It chews the cud not by regurgitating like all these other animals do. It chews the cud by having it go the whole way through its digestive tract, go outside its body, and then come back into its body. You know, and because of its inefficiency of its digestion, I mean, they have to, like, constantly eat. And they can't eat as much grass as, like, a cow can eat grass and live on grass all the time. Rabbits, they're, you know, and you then have people that have rabbits as pets that they put them on a cage so that they separate it so that they don't eat where they get their nutrients from. Very cruel. The kindness of the wicked is cruelty. But God made a hair like that. He made it so that it would go back and eat these pellets that came through its digestive tract so we can go, even that is chewing its cud. And again, that's why I said that these, these animals, the camel, the rock hyrax, the, the hair, it's to teach us about what is, God is saying, yeah, that's still chewing the cud. The person who reads God's word, they try to, digest God's word, they try to understand it, and they go, I just can't get this. And it goes outside of them, and it comes back in, and somebody, you know, it's the person who goes, I can't get this. And so then they go and read a commentary. And then they redigest it, and they go, now I can get nutrients out of it. Where they actually have to put it outside their body, but that they can't do it all by themselves. And God still says, hey, that's still chewing the cud. That's not their problem. It's not your problem if you need help to, get, to have other people interpret the word for you. It's do you want the word? Do you want the nutrition from the word? Do you want to live by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God? That's what those who chew the cud do. They actually want to live by the word of God. And so, yeah, maybe they can't figure it out for themselves. And there's lots of animals that do this similar thing, right? And it's the picture of 1 Peter 2, where you give, it, where you give a child milk so that it's predigested, And as they grow up, they get better and better at being able to do it. A calf drinks milk when it's young. And it skips two of its, I think it skips all th- three of its stomachs. And it just goes to the final stomach. Because basically it was digested by its mother. So chewing the cud isn't about how good you are at it. It's about whether you desire the word of God, if that's where you see your life is from or not. But again, no problem with this rabbit that, that expels the waste and reads it. That's still chewing the cud. That's still acceptable in the sight of God. The problem is it doesn't have cloven hoofs. It's not how it chews its cud. It's that it doesn't have a cloven hoof, so it's unclean. And so we're supposed to recognize when we think of how do you distinguish between the holy and the unholy? How do you distinguish between the clean and the unclean? It's not how great they are at handling the word. It's whether they're trying to handle it, whether they want to handle it, whether they want to submit to it. You can have people like the people that wrote the Talmud that they, they chewed on it, they worked on it, they spent all their time on it. They got all these things out of it that weren't true in many cases. But that didn't make them holy but the person who actually wants to live by the word of God, even if they need help interpreting it, the person who wants to live by the word of God, those are the ones that are holy. And we're supposed to recognize that. We're supposed to recognize who doesn't have a cloven hoof and who does. 
Because chewing the cud isn't enough. Wanting to know what God says isn't enough. So verses 7 and 8. In the swine, though it divides the hoof, having cloven hooves, yet it does not chew the cud, is unclean to you. Their flesh you shall not eat, and their carcasses you shall not touch. They are unclean to you. So now he's given us four pictures of things, or three pictures of things that, that chew the cud but don't have a cloven hoof. And he only gives one picture of something that has a cloven hoof but doesn't chew the cud, and that's the swine. The swine is a picture of someone who has a heavenly focus, but they don't chew the cud. So though it divides the hoof, if you look at the footprint of a pig, it's frequently, it's not just two marks, it's four marks. But still, they're separate. There's a clear fissure. There's a clear division. And that's what's very clear. There's two halves to their foot. It's not just one one half. And so for us to be a clean animal, we have to be in this world, but not of this world. We have to... We have to have a heavenly focus and not just an earthly focus. And the heavenly focus can't just be for benefits of the earth. And so it has cloven hooves. Their hooves are fully cloven. They're split the whole way from the front to the back. Yet it does not chew the cud. The chewing of the cud is important. When we think of all the other animals, they probably didn't have that much temptation to eat camels. But they clearly had a temptation to eat pork. When Christ casts out the demons, when he comes to the demoniac and says, what's your name? And the, the demon responds, I'm legion because of us there are many. He casts them into the, the herd of swine. And the swine run out down into the sea. This is in Israel that he does this. They clearly, their biggest temptation wasn't to eat camels. Their biggest temptation was pigs. It was swine. It was to, to say those are holy that have a cloven hoof even though they don't chew the cud. They were actively raising swine. And it says it's unclean to you. They were to recognize them as unclean. They were to treat them as unclean. Their flesh you shall not eat. They were not to participate with them. They were not to treat them as clean. They were supposed to make a difference. In all these things where it says their carcasses, you're not supposed to eat. You're not supposed to touch them when they're dead. And that word carcass there means that it doesn't have any strength. And it it's, it's like comes from a word to faint. So this is like things that are dead. And I think this is a picture of 1 Corinthians 5. We're supposed to understand who the holy and the unholy are. Who the clean and the unclean are. Because of what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 5, 9, I wrote to you in my epistle that not to keep company with sexually immoral people. Yet I certainly did not mean with the sexually immoral people of this world or with the covetous or extortioners or idolaters, since then you would needs go out of this world. But now I have written to you not to keep company with anyone named a brother who is sexually immoral or covetous or an idolater or a viler or drunkard or extortioner, not even to eat with such a person, For what have I to do with judging those who are outside? Do you not judge those who are inside? We are supposed to look at people and go, that's a dead man. And have nothing to do with them. 
We're supposed to look at people and say, you never have any desire to read the Word of God. Stop pretending you're a Christian. Stop calling yourself a Christian. The person who's focused just on the things of this world, that have no heavenly focus, no fear of God, no no fear of the day of of, of judgment. We're supposed to separate them. We're not even supposed to touch their dead carcass. That's the picture. We're supposed to see who's holy and unholy because those who call themselves clean and are unclean, we're supposed to treat them as unclean. And we're supposed to recognize just how contagious they are. Because that's what Paul wrote about before. Is the reason you're supposed to separate yourself is don't you know God made you a pure lump. He made you a holy people. And you do not leave leaven in the midst of that lump or it will spread through the whole lump. You don't touch the carcass of the unclean because that means that you'll become unclean. That's the warning of Paul. That's what God was protecting them from. Not physically, you touch a a pigskin, you play football. It doesn't mean that you're going to hell. But if you play with people who call themselves clean, who are really unclean, that's how you corrupt yourself. That's what Paul warns about. That's how you destroy the church. That's how you corrupt it. Is by not being like Aaron who goes, I'm not holy even though physically I'm holy. And instead going, you're, you're not holy. Or Sorry, instead going, you say you're holy, you must be holy. It just doesn't matter. That's how you defile yourself. That's how you become unclean. They end up affecting the whole body. Let me give you some applications. The first is many professing Christians throughout the world take the food laws that were given to Israel and instead of understanding that they have a spiritual application, that after the time of Reformation it had nothing to do with pigs. After the time of Reformation, after Peter sees the sheep descend down from heaven and he understood that there was no partiality with God, the food laws have no authority. But... I've been in South America, I've been to Europe, I've been to to Asia, I've been to Africa. And in all those places, people have told me to be holy, they couldn't eat pork. They don't get it. It's not about the food. Peter got it. It's not about the food. It's, I now understand. This is about people being holy. I've argued with many people in America don't diminish what God taught through his laws by taking it back and making it about physically can you eat a piece of bacon. Because when they do that, they almost always ignore the spiritual application of it. Because they just want to be like the Pharisees. Let's just deal with this physically. Not, let's not think about what it, what it actually means. If it was really better for Israel to avoid pork, because you can get trichinosis from pork or these other excuses that they use, then why did God hate the church when he loved Israel? Because that's what they're saying. 
They're saying he tells the church, you can eat pork, but I really like Israel, so you can't, so Israel can't eat pork. It's a complete misunderstanding of who the people of God are. The people who take the food laws as written and try to apply them now as written, as physical things, they've lost the picture of the gospel. They've lost the idea that God is not partial. And I understand. This is dispensationalism in a nutshell. As they go, Israel's the holy people. Not the food laws are about teaching who is holy. They go, since they eat these food, they're the holy people. They flip the whole thing upside down as to why God gave the food laws. God is impartial. He said to Noah, you can eat anything. But he said to Israel, I'll show you who's holy by making you separate by a physical picture so you can understand a spiritual reality. Next application. Central to our role of priests of the order of Melchizedek is to be declaring, based on the authority of the word of God, what is required to be clean We're supposed to be teaching the world the difference between the clean and the unclean, the difference between the holy and the unholy. And instead, the church just wants to go, everybody's fine. You attend church, you must be okay. Don't make your calling election sure. No, that that discerning between holy and unholy, that's a bad thing. You don't want to tell people to make their calling election sure. You want to comfort them. You want to tell them how Jesus loves them. Instead of doing the role of a priest, The role of a priest is to say, there is a difference between who God has caused to be born again and those who he has not. The church is supposed to be saying, and not just the church, but every Christian, individually, as a priest of the Most High God, is to be saying, there is a difference between the holy and the unholy. There's a difference between the clean and the unclean. Your job is not to comfort people who are headed to hell. Your job is to make sure that they know the difference. When Paul says, the blood of all of Asia is not on my hands, what he's saying is, I taught them what it means to be holy and what it means to be unholy. I taught them. They know, I don't have any guilt. He fulfilled the role of the priest to Asia. Are you fulfilling the role of the priest to where you are, where God has placed you? Are you saying without holiness, no one will see God, and this is what it takes to be holy? Another application. Paul says how our deeds will be judged. We'll be judged on whether we stand, not just on earth, but also in heavenly places. Romans 2, 5 through 11. But in accordance with your hardness and your impenitent heart, you're treasuring up for yourself wrath in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God, who will render to each one according to his deeds eternal life to those who by patient continuance in doing good seek for glory, honor, and immortality. But to those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, indignation, wrath, 
tribulation and anguish on every soul of man who does evil, of the Jew first and also of the Greek, but glory and honor and peace to everyone who works what is good, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, for there is no partiality with God. Just like Peter goes, oh, I understand the food laws now. It's about God not having partiality. It's about saying what people are clean and what people are unclean. Paul says, here's how he judges. Do you have a focus on eternal life? Are you seeking immortality? Are you just worried about this life? That's how you decide who's clean and unclean. That's what Paul's saying. He's saying the same thing that Peter got. He's saying the same thing that was back in, that they were supposed to get from Leviticus 11. Those who have deeds are about patient continuance and doing good. Even when your enemy hates you, you love your enemy because you do patient continuance of doing good because you're not worried about this world. You are in this world, but your focus is on eternal life. You have to have a cloven hoof or you will not see God. Next application, do you meditate on the word of God? Not just read it. Because it's really easy to get into the practice of saying, oh, I read the Word of God. And you open up the Bible and you read it and you don't think about it. You don't consider it. You don't say, how should it be applied? You're like a swine. You just gulp your food down and go on. That's not what God says is chewing the cud. That's not chewing the cud. Chewing the cud doesn't mean that you just swallow it. It means that you ruminate on it. The picture of chewing the cud is that there's all kinds of, there is nutrition in grass, but it's hard to get it out. Men would starve if they just ate grass, unless you do something to do beforehand. Right? You could grind it, you can boil it, you can do things so that you can start to live on grass. But man doesn't chew the cud, so he can't live on grass because there's just not that much nutrition in it. And that's what, like, the unbeliever that just reads the word and doesn't meditate on it. It's just like going out in the field and eating grass. You're not going to live by that. That's not going to give you any strength. Yeah, it will go through your system. It's not going to kill you. It's edible. It's just completely non-nutritious. To make it nutritious, you have to meditate on it. You have to ruminate on it. You have to chew the cud. That's what you have to do to get things out of the word of God very easy in devotions to be reading things and just kind of go through them and go, okay, we did our Bible reading for the day. Don't think that's chewing the cud. Chewing the cud is more than that. Chewing the cud is, what does this mean? How do I apply it to my life? How am I supposed to think about this? That's what chewing the cud is. And the animals that chew the cud, it's really important to get this picture too because we don't deal with animals. But they dealt with animals all the time. Any animal that chews the cud, they spend all the time chewing the cud. It's not like a cow, right, that it it eats grass, it chews it up, and then it just wanders around and looks at the flowers and the trees and listens to the... No, it chews and eats grass all the time. Like 24 hours a day, it's chewing its cud. Or it's eating new grass. To live off of grass, whether you're a a rabbit or whether you're a cow, you constantly chew. Constantly. That's why Psalm 119 is the picture of chewing the cud. It's the picture. 
as you read Psalm 119, I think in the whole psalm there's only two verses, if I remember correctly, that don't actually mention the words of God. They don't even mention the commandments, or they don't mention the statutes, or they don't, they, they, only two out of however many it is, uh, 176 verses or whatever it is, only two of them don't talk about the word. Psalm 119 is the picture of chewing the cud. And that's what you have to do. And it's not like you eat it, like a lion, right? A lion eats about every three or four days. Lions don't chew the cud. Other things basically took the grass and they processed it and it comes into muscle and then the lion just eats the muscle. To think you can come to church on Sunday and hear the word of God and think that you're chewing the cud. You're not. You're feeding like a lion. Not like a ruminant. Ruminants eat all the time. The picture of a, someone who is holy. They think about the word of God. They think, how does it apply in this situation? One, they, you know, it talks about in, in Deuteronomy 6. This is what it looks like to love the Lord your God. When you lie down, when you rise up, when you walk by the way, when you sit, you're ruminating all the time. That's the picture of someone who chews the cud. Not the person who comes to church on Sunday and hears the word of God. That's not chewing the cud. Doesn't mean that they don't do other things. Cows walk around and they chew the cud. They do other things while they chew the cud. But they chew the cud always. That's what it looks like. That's what animals that live off of grass have to do. Are you ruminating on the word of God? Another application, righteousness is not about how well you know the word of God. It's not about how much you get out of the word of God. It's about whether you're trying to obey the word of God, whether you're trying to understand what God said. You're not saved by your brilliance. You're not saved by your knowledge. You're saved by your desire to, be, to have Jesus as your Lord. Romans 6.16, Do you not know that to whom you present yourself slaves to obey, you are the one slaves who you obey, whether of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness. It's not about how good you are at chewing the cud. It's about whether you want to hear from God. It's about whether you want to be, you know, you're a slave of who you obey, the person who chews it and chews it and goes, I just can't understand it, but keeps working at it and keeps working at it. They're slaves of who they want to obey, and they want to obey God. The person who reads it and writes brilliant things about it, but they have no desire to obey. They have no cloven hoof. They aren't right with God regardless of how much knowledge they have. And think about it. We're supposed to continue to grow in our understanding. We're supposed to be like a cow in that sense. Right from the beginning, they're ruminants. But at first they drink milk and they skip two of their stomachs. But then they start eating and they keep eating and they keep eating. And bulls can grow four times larger. Like the biggest bull is like 4,299 pounds. They keep getting bigger. That's what we're supposed to be like with the word of God. We're supposed to keep ruminating, keep chewing on it, and don't think there's a limit to how big you can get. The depths of the words of God are beyond anybody's lifetime to understand. 
And that's what, that's what, you can still get quite big as a ruminant, even though you have to chew all the time. Because it does nourish, and you do get bigger. So we shouldn't look and go, oh, yeah, well, I've, had, I've eaten enough of his word that I've gone to this point in my Christian walk. I can now stop. No. It's not those who used to chew the cud. It's those who chew the cud. If you're a ruminant, regardless of how you choose the cud, even a calf, you're still clean. But we should desire to be bulls. Another application, the modern church is filled with swine. It's important to understand that. The modern church is filled with swine. What's the definition of a swine? The definition of a swine is an animal that has a cloven hoof. They talk about heaven. They focus on heaven. They do work for heaven. But they never chew the cud. How many people in the modern church actually read the Bible? Not very many. They have lots of them. There's lots of Bibles in America. There's like three per person or something ridiculous like that. And they don't get opened. They're swine, biblically. And we should understand that. And we should be saying that. The church in America is filled with swine. And this isn't always the picture that it used to be. This wasn't, you know. This was the Reformation in a nutshell. Let me put it that way. What happened in the Roman Catholic Church is the Roman Catholic Church started out with people who were chewing the word of God. And then they went, that's too hard. Instead of doing that, let's switch everything to pictures. Now let's just focus on people seeing pictures because, hey, we don't want to teach people how to read. That's, that's like work. And so that when Luther goes and he's a, a professor, he finds a book that hadn't been looked at in years called the Bible in the library of the university that he was in. He thought he could be holy. He thought he could talk about a heavenly focus. He spent night and day praying But yet he wasn't holy because he didn't have the word of God. And then he opens the word and the world changes. Because all of a sudden somebody's saying, if you are a Christian, you need the word of God. If you don't chew the cud, don't think you're saved. And you have to have Yeah, the modern church is filled with swine. You can argue that the ancient church was filled with camels. Because when you got saved, instead of going and being in this world but not of this world, instead of two, oh no, you went and sat on the top of a pole. There were these pole sitters. Oh, I have to be so separate from the world. I can't be part of the world. Monks, nuns, that's all the same picture. It's the picture of a camel. Somebody goes, I'm going to look at the word of God. I'm going to chew on the word of God. But I don't have a cloven hoof. I'm just going to be holy. And not actually have to deal with this world. That's not what God saves those who are righteous to. Those who are righteous love their neighbor. And they don't think they should just be set apart to do the things of God and not have to worry about this world. Another application. 
Because many people look like they have a cloven foot, but are later found out not to. Think of all the pastors that have fallen. They talk about heavenly things all the time. They preach God's word. They study it. That's their profession. But in the end, they're found out that their goals, they look like they have a cloven foot, but it wasn't split the whole way down. It wasn't split the whole way through because their whole purpose for doing what they were doing was to receive things on this earth. There's a lot of pastors that get caught in adultery, that get caught in all kinds of other things. Seducing. Let's not use the term adultery. It's not just adultery. It's abuse of the church of Jesus Christ because they prey on people in the church. That's where it looks like that foot is cloven, but the reality is it's not cloven at all. They're only worried about this world. They're not focused upon heaven. They may sound like it. They may speak the words, but all they're really looking for is to fulfill the lust of the flesh on this earth. They don't have a cloven hoof. It's a picture of a foot, like a camel's foot, that's mostly split. But in the end, that back part, they're still joined together. There's lots of people out there like that. That's what false prophets look like. Last application, we should not be tempted to call people clean when they seem to have such a heavenly focus, but you don't see them meditating on the word of God. You don't see them, you know, you see people that do so much work. They're people that, that really seem to be serving the kingdom of God. But if they have no desire to meditate on the word, don't think they are. Don't think they are. Because in the end, they're obeying men. Here's what I mean by that. The person who goes, well, I don't need to read the word of God. This is what, this is what, you know, I've been sent out by these men to be this missionary or whatever else. And they go and do this work. But they're just doing it to please men. Maybe those men read the word of God. Maybe they're right. But they're obeying men by going out. The people who truly serve God, they meditate on the word because they are presenting themselves as slave who to obey. Whether it's to obey men or to obey God. And if you're presenting yourself to obey God, you read his word to find out what it means to obey God. The attitude towards the word of God, it's what testifies whether you're clean or not. Yes, having a focus of this world, but in this day and age, so many people, they can pretend... In the, not this day and age, in America. Let me be more specific. In America, there's lots of people pretend to have a, an eternal focus. The way to determine whether they're clean or unclean is what do they do with the Word of God? But let's not talk about them. What do you do to, with the Word of God? What do you do with it? Do you meditate on it? Do you say, how do I apply this to my life? What am I supposed to do with this? And do you actually have a focus on eternal life? Or does the busyness of your life, the children that you're raising, the work that you have to do, does it distract you so that you don't focus on heaven, you just worry about things of the earth? To be clean, you need both. Let me pray. Oh, Lord God, we do pray that you convict us where we need to be convicted, that you open our eyes, that you let us see the seriousness of these things. As you, have told, as you told Aaron that he is to distinguish between the clean and the unclean, let us, let us be a people that can distinguish between the clean and the unclean. 
And yes, we can't see the heart. But you give us a way to see the works, to see whether the works testify of faith. Or let each of us look and ask ourselves the question, do our works testify of having true saving faith? For the day will come when all will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. All will stand. And those who are unclean will be cast into eternal damnation. Where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. But those who are saved will be entered into the eternal joy of the Father. May all of us make our calling election sure. Amen.